This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello, and thanks for joining us for your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. This week, we're switching our focus from exploring England's history to explaining how history is being preserved for the future through major conservation projects at two of England's finest Georgian properties, Marble Hill House in London and Belsay Hall Castle and Gardens in Northumberland. We'll also be finding out how you and your family can get hands-on with history yourselves when English Heritage's new Conservation in Action van hits the road this summer. More on that later. But first, let's introduce our guests. Hi, I'm Ruben Briggs. I'm a Senior National Project Manager at English Heritage. And I'm Amber Xavier Rowe, uh, Head of Collections Conservation. So let's start by talking about Marble Hill House in London. Ruben, what can you tell us about the property and why is it so important? Well, it's a really interesting site. And I mean, firstly, it's it's a public urban park at the moment. But what's really interesting is that that sort of park was created in an 18th century landscape and estate. And it was actually protected in the early 1900s by an act of parliament. And it's kind of unique for that reason. It's a large site. It's on the Thames. And at the centre, there's a kind of a large well, fairly small, actually, Palladian villa that was built for Henrietta Howard, who was a kind of remarkable woman in the 18th century. And then she built this villa, which she lived in and had many famous friends visiting, like Alexander Pope. And around the villa, she created this excellent landscape, which was actually designed by Alexander Pope and is one of the only surviving or known gardens to be designed by him with the help of Bridgman, who was another well-known landscape designer at the time. So you've got this beautiful villa at the centre and then these landscape around it. So you've kind of got a pleasure ground leading down to the Thames. You've got a grotto, you've got a sweet walk and an ice house. So it was all part of this kind of Palladian landscape that existed at the time along the edge of the Thames, sort of between Richmond and um, Hampton Court Palace. And of course, at the time, it would have been probably one of the few buildings along the Thames, uh, enjoying those views of the river and the wider landscape at the time. Yes, I think there are a few of these villas that sort of sprung up around that time. And Marble Hill is the last of those really to survive. And, you know, they would have been accessed by boat at that time. So interesting, Marble Hill has a kind of a front and a back door. Mm. You can come in from the river or you can come in from the road on the on the other side. Yeah, it's really idyllic, that uh, river approach, I must say. And of course, this is about 12 miles out of central London in Twickenham, in the southwest of London. But let's talk more about this conservation project that started at the house. When when did that start and what does this involve? Well, this is a really big project. I think the biggest sort of project really going on at English Heritage at the time. And we started way back in 2016 with all the planning works. And we should say that the project is being delivered with the Heritage Lottery Fund. So they've been involved from the beginning. But works didn't actually start on site till around the end of 2019. So we're doing the work in sort of different phases. So there's work on the house. There's work to restore the landscape, and we've also created a new cafe in the stable block as well. Okay. And why is the conservation work necessary now? I presume there's been some degradation over the centuries. Yeah. So with the house, it's gone through various phases. English Heritage took it on, I think, in the 80s, and prior to that, it had been run by the local council. And 
it's never had a huge amount of investment. So it needed work doing, the electrics needed replacing, the roof needed works on it, the windows needed repairing and decorating. And it was the right time to get in there and do it to kind of arrest the decay that was happening. Mm. Just remind us of the date that it was actually finished when they built it originally. 1720s. 1720s, yes. I think that's when it was finished. So that's a, um, that's a lot of passing time and wear and weather. A lot of the interior remains as it was from that time, but um, obviously it's been opened up at various different points to add electricity or add plumbing and so on. So there are changes that have taken place inside the house. Mm. At the moment, is it um, surrounded by hoarding? Uh, you can't really access much of the property. Yeah, so at the moment, the house is surrounded by hoarding and some of the landscape is also fenced off. The landscape work started at the same time and they're progressing as we speak. They initially started down on the pleasure grounds at the back of the house, down toward the river, where we were restoring the lost landscape there because that was pretty much disappeared. The shape of it was still there, but we're replanting all the avenues to recreate the avenues, creating the serpentine paths and the flower gardens within the woodland quarters. So all that work is is already underway and, and near complete. Ah, so people who are in the park area can see that and see that there's yes. work taking place. They can, and the transformation you know, is really taking shape now, and we're getting lots of good comments from people who use the park daily. You know, It's, it's used as a, a public park, so people are walking their dogs, taking their children out for a play, and they've really seen it transform over the last sort of 18 months. That's definitely a positive thing. I can imagine when the daffodils were coming up in March and with various other improvements in particularly the weather, that d- definitely adds a bit more to the site, doesn't it? Even if it is it in, in a state of change. I've seen a yes. um, video that shows paintings on some of the walls inside and, and furniture in some of the rooms of the house. Are these undergoing conservation as well? Could you answer that, Amber? Well, yes, they are, but it's all part of a process. When the house has been under restoration, it's a really, really risky time for collections in, indoors, as you can imagine, with um, lots of contractors tramping around. And there's the risk of interiors and the collections being accidentally damaged or from dust as well as scaffold poles being swung around. But So this is a time when conservators in my team really focus on ensuring that we protect the interiors and it's involved actually decanting the collection of paintings and gilded furniture beds and objects into storage and that was quite a big effort to pack everything up safely and to transport it safely and it involved removing some of those paintings that you're talking about quite large paintings in what's called the great room which is a great room it's in the center of the house on the first floor and the paintings were inset into the walls and we had to remove the uh, plaster frames to remove the paintings and they're now in storage and the next phase is the return of the collection but if i can just mention one of the interesting things that people are not aware of which what happens in the background when we're when we're looking at presenting a collection but also preserving it long term is controlling the environment Mm. and so we had to um update the heating system and that involved putting in a whole new heating system which is it's a hot air system which is located in each of the chimneys and there's ducting that goes down to the basement as all you know the technical side of the boilers and so forth but putting in a system like that that actually helps to control the environment to make sure it doesn't get too dry is quite complex and and our conservation scientists help with the design and how to set the controls and it's not run with the thermostat like you do at home. 
it's run with a humidistat, so we control it setting the humidity. Yes. Um, which is sort of it, it's something that really gets conservators excited, but it's quite it's quite challenging to get it. It's balanced a, in an is. historic how interior like this. Yes, and if you go around other properties, which people might know if they know Kenwood in London, for example, or or any other properties in the English Heritage Collection, you walk into a room and you see some modern gadget sitting on the side of a table or something, and it's there measuring the humidity, isn't it? Yeah, the radio telemetric sensors, and they're, yes, they're monitoring the humidity and the temperature 24 hours, and we we use that to help us control the environment. Just make sure that we make sure there isn't any sudden shocks or changes in the environment, which can, and particularly at Marble Hill, because we have the paintings, but we also have lacquer on display, which is very sensitive. So that's one whole aspect of in terms of controlling the risk from humidity. But the risk from the building contractors is is another whole kettle of fish. And we've had quite complex protection that's gone in to make sure that the interiors, which are really fine, and original are not damaged in any way from all the decoration, the removing of the windows, the removing of asbestos. It's quite a lot of activity that goes in the background to make sure that we protect those interiors. Is there any other unseen work which goes underappreciated, I suppose, by the ordinary visitor, which is really important to the project? You mentioned the asbestos there, which one wouldn't really sort of expect in a building that was finished in the 1720s. So can you talk about some of those other unseen aspects? It's one of the uh, sort of unexpected joys of this project, I suppose, has been the discovery of asbestos. And it's not, it's a 19, you know, when it was renovated in the 1960s, 70s. Yeah. And it actually turned out to be throughout the building. Um, And it meant that we had to lift the floorboards, which were original and quite, you know, you had to be quite careful about how you do that. But it had a positive outcome because we, we removed it all. But also it meant we could clean under the floorboards very thoroughly Sometimes all this dust and rubbish that gathers under floorboards over over hundreds of years can be a source for webbing clothes moths. So there were positives to having to deal with the asbestos. But yes, it was it was a challenge. And I, know, I know just from building regulations, it can be really tough, can't it? Because it's so it's so dangerous because of the spores getting into your lungs, etc. Yeah, it's a real dangerous substance to work with. And there was also a whole load of control measures that have to go in place. All of the rooms had to be sort of tented out. So within each room, you'd build a separate tent, which was air sealed. And then you have a big extractor on that to kind of pressurize the room so that everyone working in there is safe from any dust that might come out as a part of the works. Well, let's talk now about some of the uh, work that's taking place in the 66 acres of parkland surrounding the house as well. Ruben, what can you tell us about this? Well, as I sort of touched on before, there's the restoration of this lost Arcadian landscape that was at Marble Hill that Henrietta kind of commissioned with Alexander Pope in 1750. We know it exists because there was a plan that was discovered, we call it, I think, the 1750s plan, which has got Alexander Pope's layout for the gardens on it. And over the years, we've done sort of archaeological investigations to show that this plan did exist and further research in the archives. So we've really used that plan as a template to recreate that lost landscape. The focus of that is on the back of the house or the river side of the house. And we've recreated these great avenues of trees that stretch from the back of the house down to the river. We're building in an arbor on each side of the house of hornbeam. 
And within the woodland quarters, these sort of woodland areas at the back of the house had grown up. They were like scrubland, really, with lots of just saplings and self-seeded trees. Those have been cleared out and the kind of original serpentine paths have been reinstated. And around those, there's some really kind of magnificent planting that's gone in. So the riverside of the house is really transformed. An exciting feature that's also gone in is a nine-pin bowling alley, which is a bit like kind of skittles or ten-pin bowling. Yep. And we, we know that uh, that appears on the plan and that Henrietta used to enjoy that game at the time. So we've put that in. We're re- recreating the, the skittles and the balls, and that will be something that, when we're finished, visitors of the park can play. And that will just be in the parkland. Is it more in the parkland than near the house? That's in the house at the back of the house. It's in this kind of pleasure ground at the back yep. of the house. So that's part of the formal gardens, if you like. Right. Around that, there is the kind of more municipal park, if you like. So mm-hmm. at Marble Hill, we've actually got rugby pitches, football pitches, tennis courts, and all the type of things you would find in a park. And all of those are being upgraded as well to really lift the site and make it a really enjoyable place for the local community and anyone that's visiting. Yes, a house for the whole community, really. Um, yes. Which I think is a really nice touch. Well, let's move on to Belsay Hall, Castle and Gardens in Northumberland. We're going up the um, M1, so to speak, into the northeast of England. And it's a Grecian-style country manor house. Uh, we have been there on the podcast before, so uh, you can go and search and have a listen for the episode that we've done there before. But what can you tell us about the hall, Reuben, apart from its Grecian nature and the fact that it's got these impressive columns as you arrive? It's sort of quite blocky, isn't it? Well, that's right. I mean, what's what's really interesting about the whole of the kind of Belsay site is that from the 13th century onward, there was sort of one family that inhabited it. Originally, they lived in the old castle. And then I think in the early 19th century, the current owner or inhabitant, after traveling to Greece and Sicily and sort of falling in love with the architecture there and studying it, decided to build a new hall on the site in the Grecian style, as you say. And it's this sort of big square with the columns, Greek columns on the front. And what's really interesting is because it's sort of meant to represent a temple, you can't really see the roof. It has a very low pitched roof. And that is part of the work we're doing there at the moment as part of this project is to conserve that roof because though he was very interested in architecture, he wasn't actually a trained architect. And so the building is really stunning and looks magnificent, but some of the detailing isn't quite right. And that has sort of given us problems over the years. And part of those problems are what we're trying to tackle in this project, as well as a much wider scheme to really tell the story of that family and how it changed over time and how the site developed. What's happening inside the hall itself then, Amber? Because we've been there before and it is a very impressive space. When you walk in, you have the first sort of reception area which is pretty large in itself then you walk into uh, another set of double doors and you've got the pillar hall with the stairs going up to the bedrooms but the pillar hall looks like a grecian or roman forum like a marketplace doesn't it Um, and that's a, a really impressive space so is anything happening in that area well there's a range of things happening i mean the first thing is again with builders on site there's going to be quite the need to put in crash decks into this space specifically as protection and to do whilst they're working on the roof. And to do that, we need to protect this the most amazing, as you described it, this these stone pillars and the metal balustrading, which I'll come to in a bit. But the whole 
process of complex kind of protection. It's not like sort of, you know, draping plastic sheets around like you do at home when you're doing your decorating. Mm. We've, we build a kind of internal protection around all the columns and the balustrading and in other areas inside. And then we're going to be sort of monitoring and preventing dust coming in as well. Building work on a property is the most riskiest time for a property and the interior. So we take great care in preventing damage from knocks and from dust. But in terms of the balustrade, what's really lovely about that, you, as you describe it, you walk into this pillar hall, it sort of looms, doesn't you, above you, mm. this, this kind of sort of the slightly surreal, yeah, yeah, it's the real sort of kind of interior. But the balustrade, the sort of metal balustrade, which is actually cast brass, the challenge for us is that this is brass, but then it has a shellac coating, a lacquer coating to give the impression of gilding. And this is breaking down. And so the challenge for us is, is how to improve that appearance. I mean, most of it's about sort of gentle cleaning and then protecting it during the building works. Let's talk about the grounds surrounding the hall, though. So we're going outside now, so to speak. There's a lot of work that's already been completed here, I understand. Yes, yeah, so I think there's a lot of planting that's been done. I mean, on the site, I think what's really interesting about Belsay is that it has these different garden characters within it. So when they built the new hall, they sort of quarried the stone for that on the site. And that quarry was then converted into a kind of wild garden walk linking the new hall to the old castle. So you've got these more formal grounds surrounding the hall, and then you sort of transfer into these more wild gardens as you travel towards the castle mm. and some of that structure i think has been lost over time whether it be self-seeding plants or disease plants dying off or interventions that have taken place throughout time so working with a plantsman and the garden designers and the landscape architects they're really trying to peel back that change and reveal that landscape different character areas and bring them back together so that people can really appreciate the kind of picturesque landscape that was created there. Is there any work then taking place to the original castle building, which you get to as you go through that quarried garden? Yes, so there's further conservation work happening there. A lot of stone repairs at high level. That's the main work we're doing there, sort of repairing the stone that's kind of degraded through um, weather mm -hmm. over the years. So there'll be new indents going in. So that's where they carefully cut out defective stone and, and insert new pieces. And there's repointing going on. What's that? And also I th that's where um, the mortar joints between the stones that sort of hold the walls together, if you like, where that's eroded. So that will be carefully raked out right. and then new pointing put in. Filled in. Basically. And I, th Yeah, filled in. And then inside the castle, I think there are some repair works planned to the kind of spiral staircases that take you up inside the building. So where the treads have worn away on those steps, those will be looked at. And again, the handrails are being replaced as well, I believe. So just easier to get around, looking nicer, looking a bit newer but albeit yeah <laughs> albeit um, still old a, yes. a safety aspect yeah yeah and just to repair that you know obviously up where it is located up near newcastle you've got a lot of cold windy wet weather which over time has a big impact on the building and part of kind of good conservation is to keep on top of things like your pointing and your stone repairs to make sure that the building survives as long as it can well finally then about belsay 
We know the project, if people have listened to previous podcasts about this, is called the Belsay Awakes Project. Well, finally then, about Belsay. We know the project, if people have listened to previous podcasts about this, is called the Belsay Awakes Project, which is supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and is looking to update the garden, castle and the hall. But why is it generally necessary? Is it just the fact that, again, the ravages of time have taken over? Yes, I think it's that. You know, there's that important conservation work to do on the old castle we've talked about. On the main hall, there's this really important work that needs to be done on the roof uh, to stop the rainwater getting in to improve some of that detailing that wasn't quite right in the first design to make it more efficient. There's obviously bringing that landscape back together. I understand there might be some new signage going in as well. Is that right? Yes. So as part of the whole package of works, we're putting in new signage to better tell the story of Belsay and the family that lived there. So this is going to be bold, interactive displays, really. It will kind of transform the castle into a really fun, packed area for visitors. Now, apart from listening to this podcast, there is a way that you can get to learn a bit more about English Heritage's conservation work in general. There is a camper van which is touring six English Heritage sites this summer. It's called the Conservation in Action van. Amber, you're not driving it, I know, but could you tell us about which sites it's touring and when? Yeah, we're taking conservation to the road in this specially kitted out van and it's starting with Marble Hill. Then it's heading off down south to Dover and then Bishop's Waltham, which is in Hampshire, and then Lincoln Medieval Bishop's Palace. Then it's going to duck across to Bristol, Temple Cloud, and it's going to head end up at Belsay for a month and a half from September to October. And generally speaking, across these sites, how long is that? Is it at each site? For about a month. Some of the sites will just be a couple of days, but the main sites will be Marble Hill, Dover, and then Belsay. And this is across how many months that it's on the road? It's from May till the end of October. Right. We're really excited about it because we it's going to be an opportunity to just bring conservation to our visitors in a kind of hands-on workshopping way and designed to appeal to families. And if you can imagine this van, it's going to be blue, so it's going to be quite noticeable with a really lovely design that we've worked with a a paper designer to come up with, which has various sort of pictures that are introducing the various aspects of of the conservation we do, from the building work we've been hearing, from collections and the landscape. And then the workshops are going to be doing that as well. So we'll be looking at caring for masonry, preventive conservation, conserving our landscape, but really interactive, engaging, fun activities that families can kind of do together. And it spills out in front of the van. So you'll see these sort of workshops sort of surrounding the van and hopefully people will come up and and join in. Can you describe a bit more specifically what hands-on things children and adults will be able to do when the van is on site? Yeah, so we've got six workshops that we're going to start with. One of them, for example, is focusing on archaeology. Children of different ages will be able to kind of excavate in sort of sandpits, so to speak, um, to get an understanding of how we use archaeology to understand our monuments in terms of underground archaeology, but also we use archaeology to understand the building structure. And so there will be activities around that. Another example is preventive conservation. We're talking about the effect of light. And we've got just a simple thing like a postcard where children or even adults can colour in the pattern 
it's a pattern from a piece of carpet and then we're going to give them a piece of UV absorbing window film and they can take it home and cover up half their picture with the film and stick it in the window in their window and watch it fade and then there's one about mortar we would Ruben was telling us about the mortar repairs at the castle at Belsay we're going to introduce how important it is to have the right type of mortar soft mortar and not hard mortar and that how that can impact on the deterioration rates of stone but you can actually mix your own mortar and create with bricks little miniature bricks and and, and match your mortar and build and understand how that works and yeah so it's it's a bit of an experiment um it's going to be lots of um a bit of mud <laughs> flinging around and sand and so forth but hopefully with a point of sort of getting across some of the conservation principles and hopefully um spawning some budding conservatives indeed yeah that'll be great yeah now, this special van, which is blue and very distinctive because it's jam-packed full of stuff to do on a day out, how's it being paid for? Well, we are very fortunate that the running costs of it is, is sponsored by Sir Robert McAlpine for the next three years. And they're very excited to work with us on this type of venture, which is which is new to us and to them. And it will help us to kind of share the backstory, so to speak, about our conservation work, which is English Heritage is an organisation that our whole purpose is to bring history alive. But conservation, I mean, I like to think of it as it helps us keep history alive. So we need these assets to help us tell the story. And and that's why conservation is so important. Yes. And nice to have uh, financial support to help tell those stories and pass it on to the next generation who could conserve these sites for their future generations, potentially. What are your hopes then for this van? Will it be touring more sites in future? Well, yes. Well, this is the first year, so we'll be piloting our workshops. It'll operate during the the warmer months, so to speak, from May to October. And the purpose of it is to go to sites where we're doing conservation projects to help highlight the conservation work that's happening. Hopefully, it'll go to smaller sites as well as as the bigger sites and our free sites. But the first year, it's a trial and we'll have to um, experiment with which sites we can take it to. What other major conservation projects has English Heritage got on at the moment? Well, we're just about to start works at Dover Castle, a very big conservation project, sort of looking at repairing the curtain walls there on the down on the south coast of that you know very impressive Dover Castle. So that's just about to start. Similarly, we've got a major conservation project starting on Bristol Temple Church in the next month. So again, there are a lot of stone repairs, repointing, consolidation, and taking out some of the kind of structural interventions that would have put in in the 60s. And other opportunities for people to see conservation in action? I mean, for these ones that you just mentioned, will people see builders and workmen and conservators on these sites? Yes, they will. So there will be sort of conservation in action signage and programs within those works definitely and the conservation camper is calling at both those projects again so there will be a real opportunity to engage with what's going on and we should also say that the project at Belsay conservation action is a major part of that project and we really want to invite people in there and see what we're doing and get up close to the works and, and make them a part of that development. We've hinted at it a couple of times already in this podcast about why this conservation work is so important. Obviously, time and weathering do attack beautiful buildings and it's just one of those things. All things decay, unfortunately. 
But it's also important, I think, to be able to continue to tell these stories and keep these structures standing and in good condition, as good as they can be, for future generations. What could you both say about that? That's a really important aspect of it is, yes, keeping the buildings alive, keeping those stories alive. And I think in doing the work, a really important thing is keeping those heritage skills alive. So keeping the abilities of, you know, stonemasons, master carpenters, etc., keeping those skills going and, and passing those down through time as well. What are your thoughts, Amber? Well, I would agree. I'm, you know, conservation is my passion, has been all my life. I think it allows you to have a different perspective on these monuments when you understand what it takes to care for them and the skills required and expertise that needs to come together to make decisions about how we prioritise and the approaches and methods we do to preserve our monuments and then moving indoors to how we care for our collections. And it's part of our environment, isn't it? So history, fortunately, in this country, these monuments and these collections, you know, they bring history alive and we help to keep it alive. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. To find out more about English Heritage's conservation work, please go to the Learn section of the English Heritage website. Next week, we'll uncover the story of Sarah Forbes Bonetta, the African goddaughter of Queen Victoria, and the new portrait her story has inspired. She is standing against a detailed background, and she's in an ivory Victorian dress. Thanks for listening. See you next time.